0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hi, I'm Elizabeth Ferry. Welcome to another rebroadcast from the RTB Archives.
2: Right the swinger, right
0: photography as a hobby can lead to photography as a career, and often does but professional work calls for a lot more than just snapping pictures here and there.
3: Hello, and welcome to Recall This Book Presents, a brand new experiment, a very special Recall This Book. Um, As you know, our usual format is to center discussion around books from the past that help us to make sense of contemporary problems, but today we have invited a colleague to come in and present rather than a dusty old book. Q. Foley man throwing dusty old book across room, instead his brand new podcast. We will hear from the creator himself, hear some tempting highlights from the show, and discuss the ways in which he's approached making podcasts, perhaps even compare them to our own scintillating method of playing our friends with coffee and then locking them in the studio with us. So in our lockbox today, as usual, we have the great escape artist and anthropologist Elizabeth Ferry. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello. Um, and me, John Plotz, and to our great delight, Professor Jared Green of the Stonehill College English Department. Hey, Jared. Hello. Hello. So, Jared, you started your career as a modernist with articles on Faulkner and That Ilk, but in recent years you've worked on documentary cinema, on hip hop, and you also have screenplays and theatrical credits, which are very exciting. So with that's an amazing resume, and it clearly prepares you to undertake this creative sort of podcast, which we are happy to present, The Electro Library. Um, so it's great to have you. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. Pleasure to be locked in here. With yeah, well, I, we, we enjoy it. Yes, yes, thanks for playing the, the swinger as my, my theme song. <laughs> <laughs> You'll always be a swinger to me, Jared. Um, So we're going to be hearing a couple of (laughs) substantial pieces out of your recent episode on photography. Um, I should say one of your two recent episodes on photography. But um, can you just kick things off for us by talking about the genesis of the podcast, by which I mean a couple of things, like in whose eye was it a gleam and also what happened to that gleam in the months or years before your actual first episode on storytelling dropped in December 2017. And I'd like to request that you use words like dropped a lot in our conversation. Oh, yes.
0: As is the parlance of podcasting. Well, first, I'd like to make clear that this is not solely my production or my creation. So I work with uh, professors Amra Brooks and Scott Cohen at Stonehill. Um, And this emerged out of uh, multiple gleams and multiple eyes. So it is something that I wanted to do for a while. I didn't really have any of the equipment. I didn't really have a, a very clear sense of what the show would be. But Scott, in particular, as we at Stonehill were building the Digital Innovation Lab, was also thinking about constructing a podcasting studio, just trying to bring a lot of different forms of digital expression into that space. And so I realized we might have an opportunity. And uh, Amra was also thinking about doing something with her creative writing students and things sort of lay fallow for a little bit with a lot of intention and desire to make something happen, but no clear ideas. And then I got to thinking, actually, I was inspired by Lewis Lapham's Quarterly. And I was thinking that that could be an interesting format for for a show, is to go out a theme from many different historical periods, different perspectives, uh, cultural perspectives, and uh, different genres as well. And so I kind of proposed that to Scott. and We wound up joining forces to think of doing this kind of magazine or anthology. Show. Maybe with that in mind, we
3: can just listen to the first three minutes of the episode. The It's called Photography Part One. Literally, this is the beginning that you will hear when, as I hope you do, when you go to listen to all the episodes of Electro Library, this is how uh, Photography Part One of Electro Library actually starts. And we'll be back to discuss it uh, in three minutes.
0: Photography is often called the universal hobby. It is a means of creative expression within the reach of people in all walks of life, and it speaks a language that everyone can understand.
4: What happens when we take a photograph? What happens when we capture light on paper, in emulsion, or in pixels and look across a gulf of time at these fragments of the past? What gets in the frame and what lies just beyond it? If, as John Berger notes, photographs bear witness to a human choice being exercised in a certain situation, then what can photographs tell us about the choices we make and why we make them? From the Stonehill College English Department in conjunction with the digital humanities and creative writing programs, it's the Electro Library. A podcast, a literary neural network, a philosophical space-time remix, a kaleidoscope of consciousness on electromagnetic waves. Each episode explores a single theme across time, cultures, and disciplines. The Electro Library, a cabinet of curiosities for your ears. Episode three, photography. Here we go. Go
0: The camera lens is a mechanical eye, seeing everything and recording everything. It captures actions that will never again be repeated. People were stunned when they heard that two inventors had perfected a process that could capture an image on a silver plate. It is impossible for us to imagine today the universal confusion that greeted this invention. So accustomed have we become to the fact of photography, and so inured are we by now to its vulgarization. But not so then. There were some who, like stubborn cattle, refused to even believe that it was possible. What an obstinate race of ill-tempered beings we are, resisted by nature to anything that ruffles our ideas or interferes with our habits. Maybe it's a good time to talk about the fact that you chose to make this podcast yeah. about photography, so. There's definitely a certain perversity to yeah. it, uh, but there's actually something I really loved about that idea of working with images in a way that had to be described if you were to see anything, and that was suggested to me actually by some some things that I teach in a class on photo and literature that render verbal descriptions of visual material and sometimes don't actually show the material, so I'm thinking about something, I, I first got to thinking about this from reading Marguerite Duras's The Lover in which she describes a photograph never taken on her crossing of the Mekong Delta. Uh, and it's a moment where she recognizes she's crossing over into kind of young adulthood and into sexual realization and seeing herself, seeing herself. But there's no photograph because no one would have thought it was a moment to photograph. And I've been really fascinated by that idea. And I started looking for other moments in literature where there are verbal descriptions of photographs that are not embedded. So you don't actually see the photograph. Right. Or maybe didn't exist at all. Yeah. And by the time we were making this uh, podcast, I thought that's. I think that would be perfect. Let's work with these images, but that we can't actually see. We can only see through, however we we generate that material auditorially. Mm-hmm. That's great.
3: So so I want to play in a minute. Th- th- this is the longest chunk we're going to play. It's a Umberto Echo essay, and oh, I to ask great. you to introduce it um, for us. But also, one thing that I really noticed that makes the essay work really effectively, I think, is the way that you guys use background music. So can you talk a little bit about your decision on like what do they call it the acoustic environment?
0: Yeah, so this this is a really good example of the collaboration that goes into this piece. So this was really driven by Scott Cohen's desire to do the Echo piece. He's taught this in the past at least. Um I don't know if he's taught it recently, and he wanted to bring that to the show. It's a piece that he especially loves. And he actually found the archival sound, which is very hard to find, mm. of the closing down of Radio Alice. This is something he managed to find, I think, possibly using the Wayback Machine, uh, so stored right. on some Web 1.0 mm-hmm. yeah. sites. So. And
3: we're just going to hear a tiny snippet of yeah. it. It's going
0: to be very hard for
3: you to place, but that's what
0: so it is. He, yeah. So he already began that kind of ability to experience the moment that Echo is experiencing, bring that into, into our podcast. And then when he had recorded his piece with that archival sound, he sent it to me, and I was thinking about what kind of music would feel right for for the overall environment that we're building, and for the experience we want to offer, and for the ideas. So here it was something that was kind of abstract, uh, electronic washes that felt uh, slightly menacing, like there's mm-hmm. a degree of drama mm-hmm. to it, mm-hmm. but also at the same time, uh, to me almost felt like an auditory equivalent of experiencing the past and the present coming together yeah. and that sounds very overthought but when i heard the piece i was i was looking through a lot of different music trying to hear it yeah. as it as, as it would go with the echo piece that's what struck me. You now.
3: know that's such a helpful comment Jared, because it reminds me of something I meant to say but I didn't write it down so then I forgot it which is that you know I've read really interesting articles about the golden age of radio and the golden age of TV that have made the point that in many ways it's really helpful to think about TV serials as fundamentally radio serials like in other right. words rather than thinking of the lineage from film, which is how we normally think about it, like it's visual packed into a small box, Mm -hmm. think about the TV as like an expanded version of the radio. So fundamentally the acoustic environment. You know, people often talk about watching the TV when they're in the other room. And I do this. When Lisa and I watch like, you know, trashy spy thrillers, which we do a lot, frequently (laughs) I'm not watching the screen. I'm just listening. And the the mood music in like, you know, counterpart right. will tell me when I need yeah. to and turn back. And
1: it's, also uh, it's like it's scaled for the living room, right? Yeah. So it yeah. has this kind of domestic uh,
3: Totally.
0: Right. Domestic right. scale that right.
1: film didn't Exactly. Right, and right,
0: right, and right. many of the early right. TV programs had been radio programs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're literally drifting totally. from one medium to another. Yeah. I mean it's probably not right to say that it's radio with pictures but it's Mm -hmm. the same industrial production model it's the same commercial production model and they're often using the same actors and the same writers and some of those are the same programs The Lone Ranger would be one example of many Mm -hmm. so it's
3: Yeah, and I think you could even make that case about um, TV news as well, where, like, liveness is the thing that radio and TV have in common, which film by definition doesn't have. So that, like, the talking head giving you the news, like, that could be, you know, the Hindenburg is a radio broadcast, but we remember that so vividly. Right, right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and also that, you know, that choice of the TV news model of the desk and the sort of people facing the camera is just one kind of a choice from how radio might look.
3: Yeah, totally. OK, so let us play a long um, piece, uh, which is an Umberto Eco um, essay, which has now been kind of curated and store and scored and presented by Electro Library, And it, it makes an argument about how you think about photography in its role within politics. It basically makes the case that a photograph can
5: make an argument. A photograph by Umberto Eco. The readers of L'Espresso will recall the tape of the last minutes of Radio Alice, recorded as the police were hammering at the door. One thing that impressed many people was how the announcer, as he reported in a tense voice what was happening, tried to convey the situation by referring to a scene in a movie. There was undoubtedly something singular about an individual going through a fairly traumatic experience, as if he were in a film. There can be only two interpretations. One is the traditional. Life is lived as a work of art. The other obliges us to reflect a bit further. It is the visual work— cinema, videotape, mural, comic strip, photograph— that is now part of our memory. Which is quite different, and seems to confirm a hypothesis already ventured. Namely, that the younger generations have absorbed as elements of their behavior a series of elements filtered through the mass media. To tell the truth, it isn't even necessary to talk about new generations. If you're barely middle-aged, you will have learned personally the extent to which experience, love, fear or hope is filtered through already seen images i leave it to the moralists to deplore this way of living by intermediate communication we must only bear in mind that mankind has never done anything else and before the technology of photography it was other images drawn from pagan carvings or illuminated manuscripts of the apocalypse and now to another event These last months within that variegated and shifting experience that is called The Movement, the men carrying 38 caliber pistols have emerged. From various quarters, The Movement has been asked to denounce them as an alien body. Apparently, this demand for rejection encountered difficulties, and various elements came into play. Synthetically, we can say that many belonging to The Movement ...didn't feel like labeling as outsiders forces that, even if they revealed themselves in unacceptable and tragically suicidal ways... ...seemed to express a reality of social protest that could not be denied. Basically, what was said was this. They are wrong, but they are part of a mass movement. And the debate was harsh, painful. Now, last week there occurred a kind of precipitation of all the elements of the debate previously suspended in uncertainty... Suddenly, and I say suddenly because decisive statements were issued in the space of a day, the gunmen were cut off. Why at that moment? Why not before? It's not enough to say that the violent riots in Milan made a deep impression on many people because similar events in Rome had also a profound effect. What happened that was new and different? We may venture a hypothesis, once again recalling that an explanation never explains everything but becomes part of a landscape of explanations in reciprocal relationship. A photograph appeared. Many photographs have appeared, but this one made the rounds of all the papers. It was the photograph of a young man wearing a knitted ski mask, standing alone in profile in the middle of a street, legs apart, arms outstretched horizontally, with both hands grasping a pistol. Other forms can be seen in the background, but the photograph's structure is classical, In its simplicity. The central figure, isolated, dominates it. If it is licit and it is necessary to make aesthetic observations in such cases, this is one of those photographs that will go down in history and will appear in a thousand books. The vicissitudes of our century have been summed up in a few exemplary photographs that have proved epoch-making. The unruly crowd pouring into the square during the ten days that shook the world. Robert Capa's dying miliciano. The marines planting the flag on Iwo Jima. The Vietnamese prisoner being executed with a shot in the temple. Che Guevara's tortured body on a plank in a barracks. Each of these images has become a myth and condensed numerous speeches. It has surpassed the individual circumstances that produced it. It no longer speaks to that single character or those characters, but expresses concepts. It is unique. But at the same time, it refers to other images that preceded it or that in imitation have followed it. Each of these photographs seems a film we have seen and refers to other films that had seen it. Sometimes it isn't a photograph, but a painting or a poster. What did the photograph of the Milanese gunman say? I believe it abruptly revealed, without the need for a lot of digressive speeches, something that had been circulating in a lot of talk. But that words so, alone could not. Uh, make to me, I love that
3: turn it. at the end where it makes the case that this is, you know, the photograph as argument. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I do think it goes back to the point that I mean, in a way, it relates to the, chamber, the cabinet of curiosities point because it, it, it has to do with whether we think of artwork as having this long durée existence where it's always around and we can bring it up mm-hmm. and show it to people like we discovered this a marvelous piece of sound from Radio Alice we can bring it back to you or we think about artwork in that moment of you know vivid presentness where mm-hmm. all of a sudden people saw this photograph and boom it changed
0: their thinking right, right. right. one one thing that's interesting um, and maybe there are listeners out there who who would correct me on this but i think the thing that echo gets wrong in a predictive way is i don't believe that this image of the Milanese gunman actually did enter into a broader way of thinking about hmm. images that have shaped consciousness. In some way, it really resides in Echo's account. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm. he sees it on something absolutely at that moment, galvanized right. opinion, gave a human face to a thing that was on a scale that was beyond imagination and suddenly made it look like insanity, right? This was chaos. This was not heroic. Right. And mm-hmm. so that that did shift that conversation. But he says, this is going to enter into... Uh, a future history of very significant images. And he thinks about the Kappa image, right? Or uh, the image of the execution in in Vietnam and so forth. Mm -hmm. And to the best of my knowledge, it actually has dropped out of that conversation and exists only in Echo's framing of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it seems like there's two thoughts
3: that come out of that. One is whether it matters. Like, first of all, all, it's always the nature if you're writing about the present you're always going to be wrong more often than you're right like it's easy I mean I, I talk about this with my friends who teach contemporary literature all the time because it's easy for me to pick a bunch of you know Thomas Hardy and George Eliot novels to teach and my you know my Friends who teach contemporary literature have to struggle with like, well, which of the Pulitzer Prize winners right. should I do? But th- but then the other point that I think you're making, Jared, is implicitly that, that like he's he's displacing his own cultural influence. Like he's saying the influences in the photograph, but actually it's more like in right.
2: Right. his yeah. publishing. Purposeful,
3: Presumably yeah. that was a well circulated
0: essay at the time. Yes. And yeah. then appears in Travels in Hyperreality. in yeah. the Early 80s. Uh-huh. 82, yeah. 84. I yeah, can't quite yeah. remember when that came out. But I think it's and the reason that Scott wanted to bring this to the show is not so much because of the significance of that image, but because Echo, who's doing an early shot across the bow of a postmodern account of the image, Uh, Mm -hmm. there's a tradition he's working in from uh, Benjamin um, and and Barthes, but at the same time, this is fairly early on in terms of thinking about what a media-saturated environment really does in terms of shaping political consciousness. That still feels very relevant. And I think Scott was right to identify. It feels as though... If we just inserted some different reference points, we might be talking about the gilet jaune um, Mm -hmm. uh, and representations of, say, the refugee crisis or Antifa, right, something like that, the ways in which the political becomes visualizable and therefore imaginable. And then arguments can get made about it because it circulates on a figure of a human doing a thing. Okay. So this
3: brings me to, I think, one of the main reasons that I wanted to talk about the photographic podcast which is the question of where we understand the um, the moment of like acoustic new media versus Mm -hmm. visual new media, because Jared, the thing you're setting up now there with those, um, you know, striking, iconic, visually argumentative things that flood the visual public sphere Mm -hmm. might lend itself to an implicit counter argument, which we've read in like the pages of the New York Times about like, no, but newsprint is the alternative to that. It provides like a sober, deliberative space. Or you could even imagine, and this is like my favorite way to think about this is by way of um, in Frankenstein, when Frankenstein's monster tells his story, it's only the blind man Hmm. that can hear him and not freak out, because he's so visually horrific that people have a somatic reaction to his visual appearance, but when they just listen to his words, that is when they listen to the podcast version of Frankenstein's monster, (laughs) which we should do, by the way. We should totally do the Frankenstein's monster podcast. Hello. (laughs) I am a sad monster. Um, But, you know, the the, the point is that the
1: acoustic (laughs) Fire in the booth. Yeah.
3: The the acoustic version is meant to be, you know, just like kind of innately more moderate. So that's one way of setting this up where visual, not visual is bad, but visual is on one side of the spectrum and then the acoustic is kind of on the other. Is that where we want to land or do we want to land more on the...
1: That is not bad, but sort of one is more honest, yeah. Or authentic, yeah, like
3: the or... acoustic provides a space for deliberation or a, a, a space for truth or something, whereas mm-hmm. the visual is uh, just telling stories that like like you know snap your synapses. Unreliable. Yeah, they trigger. They trigger like in like Aristotle talks about sensation as being one of the dimensions of the aesthetic experience, and that the visual triggers sensation. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it's well, interesting we... that you're saying the visual triggers somatic sensations. Yeah. So there's.
3: Yeah. Kind of... Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, I an mean, aesthetic no, but kind
3: of, yeah, you know? no, that's true, right? Because historically, sometimes people have said that of the senses, the visual is more distant, whereas right. something like touch right. is more or, immediate. Or
1: rational or whatever.
3: Totally, yeah. that's true. But or but but just to keep the other side, the other way of thinking about this in play would be that whatever. Whatever media form is new is the form that really grabs people, by which logic, you know, the podcast could also be like that. So how do we want to how do we think about those things? Do we believe there is something more charged about the visual and more safe about the acoustic?
0: Well, why are you doing this book as a podcast as opposed to, say, a video blog? What, what a I don't you know to how to use a video Okay, <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
3: that's because I have Because I, I have a face <laughs> for radio. <not> Elizabeth Barry <laughs> has a face for YouTube, <laughs> but I have a face for radio. So. Um. But, but is it, it,
0: I mean, it surely can't be the case that that's the only reason that you felt this was the medium that was right for having the kind of discussion you wanted to have.
1: Well, I mean, I think one of it, one of the things is where going back to the Cavern of Curiosity's logic of your podcast, I mean, ours kind of follows the logic of the conversation. Yeah. So, and that, you know, clearly in conversations, there is, you know, plenty of senses that might get engaged, but, but it's. Yeah. yeah, the vocal is pretty primary. Totally,
3: yeah, like it's to very about, important like, to us to do the conversations live. Like we like being face to face with one another. We have not liked it when we've tried doing it remotely. We didn't like that. So right. we do like sharing a space with one another. But yeah. right,
1: and also the conversation. There's lots of obviously there's choices that go into setting it up in the first place, but a lot of the choices also emerge through the conversation. We don't necessarily know exactly how it's going to go. Right. Um, so I think that lends itself to the auditory
0: Um, right yeah Mm. absolutely well a conversation is very different in terms of the energy of its directions than a much more kind of controlled we're gonna have this sound at this moment and we'll cut out that piece that we didn't like and yeah Yeah. right so our shaping of an auditory experience is a kind of different experience that we offer because you're, you're mentioning the the sensory registers of of the auditory And I just think back to a time when um, my daughter Zoe was listening to Let's Pretend, Mm -hmm. because I was saying, oh, I love this. I'm going to play this for her. And we would, on our drive to school, we would play this. And she did love them. how we
1: tyrannize over our children. Yes, (laughs) exactly,
0: (laughs) curating their experiences. But I discovered, actually, that some of them were too intense because they were auditory only, Mm. because what they did was to trigger images that were entirely in her mind, so there was no distance she could get from them. They were in her brain. Yeah, and I realize that this medium has um, power that others don't, or that that is different. Yeah. Right. So the ways that we experience visual material when it's produced only by sound, yeah, is a different set of. Probably neuroelectric reactions even. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So
3: that actually relates to a conversation that we were having earlier, kind of somewhat off mic, about the ways in which when you listen to podcasts, you tend not to look at the people you're in the room with. And and the thing I wanted to connect that to is that like so my experience of podcast is like when biking or when driving and in certain ways that is a form of blindness because, of course, you're looking when you drive. I'm not mm-hmm. an idiot, but you're looking at something <laughs> right. other than the story. Highly yeah, 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 right, definitely. But so I guess what I'm saying is that, like in a way, maybe the ideal podcast audience is a blind audience in that mm-hmm. broader sense of what blindness means there, like the blind man in Frankenstein just being capable right. of focusing on the ear. Okay. But but. But taking into account, Jared, what you're saying, that's actually kind of, there's an overload version of that, too. Like, it can be too vivid.
1: Can I ask you literature dudes, um... About the uh, term ekphrasis, yes, mm-hmm. which is, as I remember, uh, yes. right, writing writing a piece about yeah. something that is in some other medium, especially like a painting. Or
3: yeah, I think, I, right. think ekphra- I think ekphrasis can actually describe any kind of translation, can't it? From one S- certainly at this medium point,
0: to a, mo- a modern yeah. understanding of ekphrasis absolutely it begins with a poetic description of uh, visual material, right. but it, it gets much broader. And so, right. yeah, absolutely. So you're
1: so. Your episode, then, could be seen as an ekphrastic Absolutely. project. Absolutely. Yeah. It's
0: an acrostic project on acrostic projects. Right. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. kind of a hall of mirrors. Yeah. yeah.
3: So, okay, so speaking of which, I and know we have... And I what is this? We, and, and <laughs> I, Jared, I definitely want to hear about where you guys are heading with this, but before yeah. we do, that, that just leads me to... I'm still thinking about, like, the form of compare and contrast between the sort of beautifully curated acoustical space you do and the kind of... <laughs> Flabby conversation that we do. Um, oh. So, can I ask you guys a question? Um, no, I don't need your pity. It's okay. Yeah, I like my flabby conversation. It's, it's, I'm nuts. 51, man. I have to like flabby. Come on. I'm not uh, what we're talking yeah. About. Um, but or the question is, is this I, I just recently I'm read two about. John Le Carré, li- sorry, I listened to two John Le Carré novels, and one of which was the traditional audiobook where somebody just read the whole novel through, mm. and the other was a staged novel drama version of the the, Mm -hmm. you know the episodes Mm -hmm. so with people playing the voices so my question is do you guys have a preference between those two things because i just vastly preferred hearing someone read the whole book like that was my preference i wanted to hear the book and have it drop into my head but i understand why you would want to do it as a radio play i I get the appeal of that Mm -hmm. so do you guys have a feeling about that it had foley men, like great foley man, yeah. like doors creaked open. I mean, I feel you know? like
1: I'm so unaccustomed to listening to radio plays that they feel. I don't think I can really get the juice out of them because they feel so strange and stagey to me. Um, whereas, you know, there's nothing intrinsically less stagey about reading a book into a microphone, but but somehow I'm able to experience that more yeah. as a more natural medium. Mm-hmm. So that's but that may just be me.
0: I guess I would say, and this is perhaps a bit evasive, it really depends on the experience I'm looking to have. If I want to hear a political conversation, I want it direct and live, and I want to hear ideas unfold, and I don't want to have the sense that it's artificial, which would take me out of that moment Mm -hmm. and make Mm -hmm. me feel that it's inauthentic, and that's not what what I was seeking. But I can certainly imagine a very well done production. It would have to be well the acting would have to be good and the sound. Yep. To be good, right? Yeah, yeah. So imagining a very high level production, if I'm seeking an experience of world building mm-hmm. where I want more world senses. World building yeah, right. more senses activated, totally. then yeah. then that's something that I might seek out. Right. So it's I'm not necessarily going to come down on one side or another. No, no, no. It, it makes sense. It, I it think your very, podcast
3: builds a world and I don't yeah. think ours does and I do think yeah. that's a difference.
0: Well, yeah. Yours builds uh, the world of the sharing of social energy through conversation so it's a different yeah. Kind of world.
3: Well, yeah, we invite you to imagine being part of that conversation, yeah. but it is different from building. It's not a Gesamtkunstwerk. I mean, you're more Wagnerian. We're more. Uh, we're more I, I like. Don't know how to take not. that. We're more <laughs> like <laughs> Schubert leader.
1: <laughs> off,
3: off on so, the edge. So um, I have
1: a question that just occurred yeah. to me. So occasionally, my kids um, have. To, I mean, every year they have to read a book before they for the next year of school, right? And it mostly sucks. Most of them are not very good, <laughs> I find. Um, and, Hat tip to the Brooklyn Public Schools, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and I always find myself in this sort of quandary because, you know, I buy the book and then I try to get them to read the book. And, you know, they're, they're readers. They read things. Uh, but often it's kind of a struggle to get them to read this particular book and I don't feel very invested in it often. But I feel this like it's cheating to get the book on, uh, Uh, the audio book. So why do we feel like, why do I feel like it's cheating? That's my question. Or maybe it is cheating. Or maybe, I don't know. I mean, they're hearing it and... and, um, Yeah, they're taking in
0: content, which is different from absorbing, digesting, and thinking about that content. It's not its not well, to say that you can't do that.
3: But the argument is that you wouldn't be. It's not just content, right? Because you still have to decipher the syntax of a sentence that yeah, someone reads. Sure. Right. And right. I mean, you
1: know, it's certainly, we've all had the experience of our passing our eyes over a page yeah. in a reading-like, you know, activity Very true. without... Yeah.
0: But what you can't do, or it would require a different way of listening to an audiobook, is something that is one of the principal pleasures of reading, which is to move away from that page and that imaginary world into whatever it's making you think. Because if you do that while listening to an audiobook, you will miss content. You will miss the next set of sentences. Isn't
1: that sort of the opposite of what you just said about your daughter and the... You know, being more afraid about let's pretend because
0: well, those are her her well, those are those
1: are no because he's saying it's a com- he's but he's I, saying it's so a it's
3: command like, he's a command performance also right. like he's yeah. saying that you can't stop the, the the drone of the words so but I have two thoughts you about that though. you could yeah first of all technologically yeah. you can and I think I guess our children bit, are really good at like hitting the pause right. button what but well, I am trying to
0: underline is the difference between um, I think uh, attention yeah. and what we do without attention and um, the medium by which we absorb uh, the information. I was actually thinking we
3: should do a podcast experiment which would be so fun, which would be to have one person in here like reading out an essay or a story or whatever, mm-hmm. and the other people should just interrupt with whatever thoughts come into their heads. Yeah. Like, in other words, we should try to document that thing that Roland Barr says in The Pleasure of the Text, which is that the reader's power is to choose when to skip or when to daydream. Right. But we should record it in real time. So yes. it would be like those, um, you know, Snoopy's train of consciousness. <laughs> or well, 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 you know, 3
1: k It's like the MST3K of the right. reading, Right.
3: Right? <laughs> <laughs> is that Mystery Science Theater three yeah. thousand? Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're <laughs> M- me I, I was doing. I had to. I had to write it down and look is at that it in my called, mind.
1: Is that only my
3: Mystery Science Theater yeah. three thousand is MST three K.
1: See? Yeah. Wow. See now if you, you know, listen to more books on tape. A B. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. I didn't see so. that being the major educational moment of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the idea of stream of consciousness
3: reading. Yeah, I me just too. I would I would love you to know Elizabeth what's going on in my head as you <laughs> as, as you read your favorite your favorite uh, what would you read what would you pick for like if you read out your favorite short story or something. I think I might with, pick like a
1: With commentary With yeah, my own Yeah um, Hmm uh, Come back to me on that Yeah Jared Which would oh. you yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't carry an yeah. answer To this question Around in my head All the time yeah. But uh, I think
3: for me It might be like Robert Frost poems Or something like that I don't know Uh huh like
1: I, the, I was thinking P.G. Wodehouse, the great story. Oh, yeah, handicap,
3: yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Well, that
1: that might just be my favorite story.
3: No, but so. that would be that. I don't I think people wouldn't daydream while they were listening to that because that's so arresting. Right. I think you're right. I mean, that's a great choice. But I don't think people's mind would wander while they were listening.
1: Right. Maybe
0: yeah. Um, I, I might do something from Dubliners.
3: Oh mm-hmm. yeah. That's well, cool. that would be perfect yeah. because those, like the dead, like the de- yeah, those the James the Joyce dead, yeah. stories definitely kick you off into right.
0: a different yeah. register. Especially
1: with the the dead is the one yeah. that has this image of the snow. That's right. right. Yeah. Right? So that also kind of brings you into yeah. a visual register where you would be. Okay. And, and a lit-
0: foley artist for its tapping against. Uh-huh. The okay. Yeah. So
3: so so a podcast of listening, listening well, as podcast. I
0: <laughs> I feel like, um, just just so not to lose this thread, that there's yeah. something that we're circulating around which is actually a very kind of frankfurt school question we're almost right in the zone of critique that horkheimer and adorno were in the culture industry about what kinds of mediums are monodirectional and which ones are reciprocal yeah and even though we can hit the pause button on this podcast or on any kind of audio medium they aren't really reciprocal yeah in Right. The way that, for instance, reading a book is, in a sense, now we can't reach to the author and say, "Don't say right. that," but we can stop on the page, we can mark the page, we can close that mm-hmm. book, we can think differently, we can resist what's being but, said. But you know, when or,
1: I listen to a book on have a tape, different tape different that I... degree of engagement with it's it. a yeah. different yeah. kind
0: of engagement. And book. when you were saying, John, like this is training, that's kind of the issue. What do our expressive mediums train uh, all of us, not just kids, obviously, yeah. to expect from a certain mode of address? What kind of attention do we pay when an authoritative voice is coming out over the radio?
3: So I totally hear what you're saying, but I I feel like there is... You know, when you read the Jeremiah's against like how modern day media are destroying thought, which right. by the way had been yeah. published from like 1150 A.D. Yeah. Exactly. to the present, right. like the Jeremiah's, some right. So the Jeremiads sometimes run along the lines of the problem with the new media is that they don't allow any space for thought. But with the contemporary media, right. I've also heard the other Jeremiah. It's too easy for people right. to produce content now. Right. So it, you can't really have it both ways. Right. Like either it's suppressive of content or it's generative well, of it's content, like the, but it right. can't be. You can't condemn it for both. Yeah, I mean,
1: they used to say that, you know, computers made people too antisocial, and now it's like—
3: Right, it makes makes you too social. Too social, right? Right, because all the bullying is cyberbullying. Right, right. Right. Yeah,
0: that's a really good point. But I kind of feel like these arguments have always been true. Both sides of that argument Uh have always been true. Plato was absolutely right. Writing did destroy oral culture. Except mm-hmm. for what we're doing right now, it yeah. took millennia for it to come back. Yeah, but yes. yeah.
3: So yes. that was, yeah. 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 But that here was, in our locked room, only one side is allowed to be right. Sorry, <laughs> that's just in this room. In the world, yes, but in this room, yeah. only yeah. one there side are only can be right. Two so, possible interpretations. Exactly. There are. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, say, I think I Echo. Correct. I think Echo would have made a good a good podcast partner. Yeah. I'm sorry we couldn't interview. I her. think he would have loved this medium. Um, I definitely agree. Um, so Jared, uh, d- this has been great. But as we move to wrapping up, tell us about tell us uh, about next steps. Like where are you guys heading? Uh,
0: well, I think we'll try to keep refining our ability to create an interesting sound experience. The way the episodes have, I don't know if this is obvious from if you listen from the first one on, they develop from the prior episode. So we began with storytelling, which had a great deal necessarily to do with memory and cultural mm-hmm. transmission and. And so we did an episode on memory and mm-hmm. there were issues about photography that came up in the episode on memory. So we did the mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. on photography mm-hmm. coming out of this work on photography. Um, this may seem a little more far afield, but I got to thinking about because so much of the writing was about black and white photography and mm-hmm. think about color. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. That's a future episode. But from this set of Which materials. is even
3: easier to do on a podcast than yeah. photography. Well, yeah, I, I like a
0: challenge. I do like a challenge. But the next episode will be about identity, which emerges directly from a lot of the things that we were encountering yeah. with this episode on photography. So what yeah. I like is a sort of fractal process Yeah. that we keep, I don't know if it's drilling down or moving outward, maybe it's... It sounds exposed. more like Brownian motion, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. good. Or I'll take it. Random uh, walks, yeah. So I, I like the idea of episodes developing in that way. that something that we got interested in leads to the next set of questions and then, you know, leads us to ask people, how would you now address Mm -hmm. this issue? What would you bring to that conversation? So I think that's how it will continue to develop because that feels the most organic and exciting that, you know, we, something in an episode touches off the desire for the next one. Yeah. Cool. And hopefully we, We'll have people listening, so that we have a reason
3: to keep going. Well, I'm sure you will. It's a great show, and it will. If it doesn't yet have a great audience, I'm sure it will um, increase in due course. It will now. From and yeah, of course, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, shall
1: we switch to yeah. recallable books? Let's Is that do that. You're let's switch. At me I just wanted to make sure there wasn't was there. I didn't want
3: to. I didn't want to cut you off if you had another final oh, question. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, yeah. So let's switch. Let's conclude as we always do with recallable books which is a recommendation for further reading on the topic, though I have to say today since the topic is a podcast, I think we're going to have a much broader construal of the recallable. So it's like, let's call it the recallables. Like the opposite of deplorables. Um, So as with the books and podcasts we discussed today, there's going to be links to these on our website along with other material for folks who want to explore the topic further. So for example, not only the photograph of the um, Milanese uh, gunman, but also the echo essay itself will be available um, and yeah so jared can i ask you as our guest just to, to um
0: sure i i recommend. guess what i would recommend maybe many of your listeners already know it but it's such a touchstone of contemporary conversation about photography um, i mean it's embedded in the discourse of of how people write about photography now whether they're uh critiquing it or not uh would be roland Barthes' camera lucida I think that if, if your listeners don't know it, it is a magnificent book. It's beautiful. It's heartbreaking. He wrote it after the, the death of his mother, and a lot of it really has to do with, and we have a, a piece from that uh, on our second uh, part of the photography. Yes, episodes. read by my friend Daniel. Read Itzkevitz. by Daniel Itzkovitz in yeah. uh, his wonderful plummy basso. Um, highly... <laughs> plummy basso Itzkovitz—that's what they call him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that book is really magnificent. Uh, a way of introducing anybody to think about photography not just as what it delivers visually, but what kind of experiences it offers. And I I can't recommend that highly enough.
3: Plus, it has great Maplethorpe photographs in it.
0: Yes, that's right. That's right.
3: Armpits. Remember the armpits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Cool. That's great. And Elizabeth?
1: Yeah. So uh, I'd like to recommend uh, the work of Sarah Lewis, uh, who's a um, Mm. professor at Harvard University. And um, I first learned about her work because quite recently because of a New York Times Lens blog article about uh, photographs and race and sort of speaking of how photographs tell arguments. about how um, the kind of um, normal baseline of taking photographs uh, became, well, baked into is the wrong term, but sort of uh, baked into uh, film photography. And and, um, she talks about this thing that I had never known about called the Shirley card, which is this sort of, um, you know, baseline for measuring skin tone, which was, uh, you know, very fair-skinned white woman who was putatively named Shirley. and she also, in particular, I'd also like to recommend um, an edited issue by Lewis of uh, the magazine Aperture from summer 2016 on vision and justice, which encapsulates a lot of these really fascinating issues about um, race and argument and photography.
3: That's great. I learned recently she's she is one of four professors at Harvard who's working on Frederick Douglass photographs right now. So it's wow. yeah. <laughs> clearly yeah. there's, there's the movement afoot, which yeah. is great. Um, So and I'm going to recommend on the other sort of side of our discussion, I'm actually going to recommend a different podcast just because it has an acoustical environment that I really love. It's called The Habitat. Uh, It's, I think, a Gimlet um, show, and it follows, uh, uh, I want to say it's six. Yes, it's six people who lock themselves up in a Mars dome simulacrum on a mountain in Hawaii, and it's part of the training to figure out what it's eventually going to be like to live on Mars. But so it essentially allows us to have science fictional sound of people living inside, inside a Mars dome where, you know, you, you get to hear them putting on their space, space suits in order to go out and do walks through the uh, um, the volcanic landscape that they're in. And it's just, it's just kind of a paradise of... Uh, sonic environment and a total invitation to to let's pretend to imagining. I really, I think it's a a wonderful, it manages to be a sort of a factual world building exercise. I love it. Hmm. I think that brings us to the close of our very, very special Recall This Book. (laughs) Recall This Book is hosted um, by John Plotz and Elizabeth Ferry. Sound editing is by Claire Ogden. Uh, Web design and social media is done by Claire and Matthew Schratz. And future upcoming episodes include a conversation with the Chinese science fiction writer Shen Liu, another with Zadie Smith, and one with the poet David Ferry and the biologist E.O. Wilson. So finally, if you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to tweet about us, mention the show on Facebook, or write a review, and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever get you get your podcast. And please do check out the Electro Library, really wonderful podcast. So thank you very much, Jared, and thanks to you all for listening. Thank you both.